it's a matter of calculus at that point. Like how many other positive things can you can you stack up to make it equal to the life of one child? Well, I would say none, none at all. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing? Wonderful. Great, Nick. You guys, my father is moving to Louisville this weekend. I haven't lived in the same city as a parent since I lived in their house in high school. Do you guys have any tips for living in the same town as a parent? <laughs> Lots of wine. Buy wine. That's a, <laughs> I think for you or for them? Both. Both. I think equally distributed. That's right. <laughs> and you could get some, probably get some like, you know, meals here and there out of them. That's the, uh, yeah. always seems to be cool. Although I do feel my, like my, it was a great day. It was a great day in my life when I reached for my own wallet and my parents were around and paid for dinner. You know, it was like six months ago. I felt like a real man, a real boy. When COVID hit, my in-laws were in transit for their, my dad, my father-in-law is a, a missionary in Kenya. And so they got caught and the shutdown and they had to come back here and they lived in our house for 10 months. Wow. Well, there you go. It was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> we didn't I, I can't interpret that. <laughs> no, no, no further comment. Okay. <laughs> well, he will not be living in my house. He will be living in a community right. down the road, but very close. Well, I think that sounds wonderful. Yeah. I'm That's looking nice forward to it. Um, yeah, oh, and you got one more member of your church right there. I mean, oh, assuming he's going to go, although I bet he may not make the membership requirements and or probably wants <laughs> to look elsewhere. Who knows? <laughs> the Falls Church, very west. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, it's another good week this week, you guys, uh, because it's another bad week for Planned Parenthood and abortion in America. Anytime Planned Parenthood is angry, it must mean something is going right. Uh, what they're currently angry about is Florida Bill HB5, which, if passed, would prohibit doctors from performing abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Now, President Biden last week called it a, quote, dangerous bill that will severely restrict women's access to reproductive health care. Now, of course, Planned Parenthood remains angry about Texas's so-called heartbeat law, which prohibits abortion when there is a detectable heartbeat, which may be as early as six weeks into a pregnancy. Now, in light of the success of the Texas law and the impending passage of the Florida bill, we thought we'd revisit this week the supposedly Christian idea of holistic opposition to abortion, an idea which is described well by this sentence that I found on the website of an organization called the AND Campaign. Quote, we believe that abortion must be opposed holistically from the economic patterns that often drive the practice to the societal values that justify it. Now, in practice, this allows Christians to support pro-abortion candidates by telling themselves that such candidates, by their other policies, will change those economic patterns and societal values, leading to fewer abortions. So guys, in the wake of Texas and in anticipation of Florida, how's your thinking about holistic abortion resistance changed? No. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's, it's amazing, actually, that how 
how quickly the narrative has been undermined. I mean, that, that narrative that, that, okay, you vote pro-life, you're, and by pro-life, I mean anti-abortion. The, the, the attempt to redefine pro-life is, as, as being, like you say, holistically pro-life it has been going on for a long time, but I mean anti-abortion. The attempt to uh, to portray an anti-abortion vote, or to or to, or to move uh, the narrative away from voting anti-abortion to voting pro-life in the sense of like just a holistic care is 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 has a is a pretty long history now. But the Texas law, and if the Florida law is passed, I don't know the status of it, but if Florida if the Florida it law just is passed, needs the signature of the governor. Okay, well then it's basically passed then. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> that undoes so much of the of the narrative which has been hey you've had republican presidents you've had republican congresses you've had pro-life quote-unquote pro-life uh, politicians in charge for a long time and and the needle hasn't moved you haven't had any you haven't any any progress well uh wow it looks like we have some progress some pretty impressive progress with the texas law alone i think i read on um the star telegram from fort worth which is the newspaper they're estimating the texas law saves about 100 babies lives a day um, and that's been in place since last year. September. So we're talking we're talking thousands and thousands of babies' lives saved by this one particular law. So anybody who tells you, I don't care who they are, anybody who tells you that voting anti-abortion doesn't actually do anything to save babies' lives is now well, they don't have a leg to stand on because actually it does. Um, it, it, it has in Texas, it will in Florida, and um, who knows what's going to happen in the Supreme Court case. It's presently going, being deliberated by the, by the, the justices. But if that comes back and, and reverses Roe versus Wade, then <laughs> that whole narrative is done. You can't, you can't argue that anymore. Um, and then you're left with a, like a, a weird kind of calculus where, where I think the, the and campaign people will have to find some way to argue um, that okay, well, abortion has been pushed back legislatively by these people you've elected, but but still, you know, you've got to you've got to vote for. In, in this is the way it works out. You've got to work out. You got to vote for for liberal candidates who will enact liberal policies because the only way to push back poverty is to vote for people who okay. put in, who enact who will enact leftist policies. And and therefore relieve the poor of their burden. When should you know anybody who? I mean, just look at the look at the record of of what happens in localities where uh, leftist politicians gain ascendancy. Uh, you know, Chicago, New York City. See what happens. Does, does the abortion rate go down as he, as right. as leftist policies are enacted? Do, do, do fewer people get aborted? aborted? Does, does that happen? No. I mean, in New York City, in fact, I mean, it's, I, I think I read within the African-American population, almost a majority of babies that could have been born weren't born because yeah. they were availing themselves of quote unquote reproductive rights, which means the right to murder my child. So I, I it's, it's, just, it's just a, a massive lie that a lot of evangelical elites and some ACNA people, in fact, got, I mean, there are some ACNA people who are pushing the end campaign, uh, who got away with telling during the 2020 and 2016 uh, presidential campaigns, and they should be forever shamed for that. Yeah, the name was never, it was always disingenuous. And, we, and this is why the, my position has changed and our position hasn't. Um, the facts have always been clear. And the stakes of the debate have been the area of disagreement, because if you have a moral calculus 
that in any way puts abortion as a as an equal evil against even poverty, which is terrible, or discrimination, or you know um, inequality to whatever extent you want to say. If you, if you put that moral calculus, the life of an unborn human child, um, as a and and you begin to work with it as a variable of equal weight to something else, well, then you've already played your hand and betrayed your your convictions. And so it's just a matter of it's a matter of calculus at that point. Like how many other positive things can you can you stack up to make it equal to the life of one child? Well, I would say none, none at all. You know, that's that's the that's the calculus is that when you talk about when we believe as Christians that life begins at conception and that human beings among all other people are are granted dignity and worth and value at whatever stage of development they're in. Well, then there's no possible permutation of the life they're going to, quote unquote, the quality of life they're going to have. Even to a certain degree, the, the difficulty that, that is required by the man and the woman, the woman in particular, to carry the child. I mean, we should then do everything we can to protect her, to nurture her, to um, come alongside her. But that's a question of, and I've had this argument for 25 years, it seems now, the question of abortion is never the question of, a, of one person, but two. And so when, we, when that's the calculus, what do we do with these two people? Like how they got there, how they are going to get out of here, what will be the relationship after this, you know, the birth happens? These are all important questions. And to the extent that we can mitigate unnecessary suffering, you know, we can in, uh, help buttress, um, you know, opportunities that they may not have other had. Like, I right, sign me up for all of that. But the question in the conversation is about two distinct individuals, one who happens to be in the protective custody, as it were, of uh, the womb for nine months. But it makes them or him or her no less um, valuable and worthy of protection and dignity. And that's the argument. If you don't begin there, well, then you end up with the end campaign. Then you end up with evangelicals for Biden. So, well, yes, even though, um, you know, he's going to, uh, by his policies, allow for male uh, mail order abortion pills to be essentially free, which will, you know, um, which will guarantee, uh, you know, some sort of more efficient drug be uh, available to uh, people in perpetuity, you know, people will be stockpiling these things, I mean, which is, you know, as long, you know, even though he's going to do all that, you know, we can still vote for him because we have this calculus that says, even though, um, you know, that a couple of babies more may die, but the, the aggregate whole they, I mean, the bit, the positive will outweigh that negative. And we just disagree, we just frankly and flatly disagree. And, you know, the problem is the confluence of the conversation has become, you know, the immediate rejoinders, you don't care about poor people or you're, you know, what about, you know, people's bodily autonomy or you're going to saddle these people or what about this? What about that? And these are all real questions, you know, and I resemble this remark. I mean, my son, John, my oldest son, John is adopted. And we had a conversation with uh, his birth parents where they said, if they had been able to afford it, if President Biden had been in office and allowed for all of this free women's health care, then they would have gladly availed themselves of the opportunity to, to terminate John's life. And yet they weren't able to and got to a point where it was too obvious that it was a child in their minds. And so they had to look for other avenues. But I remember hearing that conversation. Of course, it was I was overjoyed because we were right there at the eighth month, ready to joyfully adopt him. But through that process, not only was I grateful that we had some, you know, draconian Kentucky law that didn't allow abortion just free for everyone, you know, the way that it's being described by the media. But on top of that, I was also introduced to the 
to the thousands of people who, tens of thousands, who are patiently waiting, prayerfully waiting the opportunity to adopt children um, from quote unquote unwanted children all across the board, all across the world. And so again, the, the actual facts that the quote unquote and campaign and its sim- similar arguments are, li- are relying on are patently false and easily objectifiably falsifiable. falsifiable. And yet, because the fundamental conviction is such that, if, that they can't bring themselves to say that we actually don't believe that abortion at a certain number of weeks is a heinous moral evil. We actually don't believe that. We don't believe it's a baby. We don't believe life begins at conception. Like some combination of that is undergirding the inability to see clearly what the, what's at stake. Because for those people, I've never met, let's put it this way. I've never met anyone who genuinely believes that life begins at conception, who has any time at all for the calculus that's required to get to a place where you could have evangelicals for Biden or the Ann campaign. Or I've never, never met someone. Now, maybe they're out there, but I won't believe them. I'm like that because it doesn't make any sense. And so I think that's where like for our ACNA ordination, you know, our ordinal says that we actually are required by our con- ordination convictions to support life from conception to natural birth. You know, so this is where natural I would push death. back for anyone in natural death. Right. <laughs> conception to a very short lifestyle. But, um, but if we were consistent in our preaching, teaching, um, discipleship, discipline, all the things that go into it, then you couldn't have you couldn't have someone who was sort of non-committal on their support of pro-life or pro-abortion, particularly candidates or, or policies, because that's what we've sworn to uphold. And if we don't do it, who will? And increasingly fewer and fewer people even within the church are. Yeah. And I mean, you, you mentioned the, the, the philosophical implication of, of uh, evangelicals or Biden or, or voting for a pro-abortion candidate. And it's, it's pretty dramatic. I mean, I, I'm not, I, you know, when, I think we have to kind of say that those who did vote for Biden, who were influenced by the end campaign and evangelicals for Biden, I wouldn't say that all of them necessarily grasped the full philosophical ramifications of what they were doing. At the same time, you know, it's, it's, it, the the devaluation of of life is just is part of our culture. It's part of our it's part of it's part of where we live right now. I mean, uh, uh, Carl Truman. I know. I think both of you guys have read the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, but he describes. He takes. I think it was Charles Taylor. Maybe it's Philip Reef. One of them describes uh, the Western culture in the present as a third world culture. By that, he doesn't mean a developing. That's world. Philip. That's Philip Reef. Philip Reef. Okay. He means. He means. Um, he means a culture in which there's no sacred order That's right. undergirding the, the the mores and ethics and the way the outlook of life. And so, and then what no, has to become a death work? I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So work. it's a, he, one a great example that he uses in the book is, is abortion itself. Like, like why why do why do Christians uh, oppose abortion? Well, because we we're, we're what he would call a second culture or a second world a second world uh, culture, and that is we have a sacred order grounded in scripture, grounded in revelation, grounded in, in, in the divine, uh, and so we see life from conception as valuable because God has made us in His own image, and so we can't I mean destroying a, 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 an embryo regardless of the question of whether or not the embryo is. Uh, able to survive apart from a mother, it just it doesn't. That's 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 irrelevant to the question. 
the question is, what's the telos? What's the purpose of the of life? Right. And and God made this 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 being. Uh, well, that's all a silly, always a silly argument when they talk about the viability of the baby. Yeah, of like, course. I wasn't you... viable. I'm still arguably not viable. <laughs> I'm not viable, right? Uh, <laughs> no you know, no one's like, viable. I mean, the <laughs> idea that like, I mean, you're like, what is that one? Like at, at two years? Yeah, uh, Peter Singer, I think, like, is when it's just like, a, like here's a, you know, here's a. That's right, a dance belt and a pack of chewing gum. And there yeah, you go. so Peter right. Singer says you should be able to kill your baby up to one years old because because yeah. that's when he's that's when he's. A, but anyway, the, the 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 third world culture doesn't have a sacred order to appeal to, and so what 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 basis would you have to not kill uh, an embryo if if there's no God, no reason, no telos to the to the being? None. I mean, you, you can you, you then then the question becomes okay. Well, what's what's the most practical? It, what's the most practical thing to do for the woman or the couple or the or the, the living people as they would understand it uh, to do with this child or with this thing with this embryo and you know you may they want they want to have it they may not it, it, it just it really depends on what the person wants and and like it or not evangelicals for biden and those who are promoting the end campaign have bought into the third world or third culture third world culture philosophy even if they don't know that they've done that because, right. because, because, because in a, th- in a third world, you can say, you can equate the murder, the mass murder of babies with, uh, with leftist policy. <laughs> that's right. That's a, that's a calculus I'm talking about. You can, Why yeah, don't you yeah. guys, will you guys, I know that you've spoken about this many times, but w- since we're talking about it right now, why don't you take, two or three minutes and just remind our listeners about why it is that we're insisting that the destruction of an embryonic human is murder. Why is it that we say life begins at conception? I mean, biblically, you can go to, you could go to Luke chapter one, where you have uh, Gabriel appearing to, I know there's natural arguments for it too, but I'll start with the scriptures. Biblically, you, you you see Gabriel coming to Mary and uh, or and telling her that she will conceive and bear a child, um, and his name will be Jesus. And she asks how this is going to happen because she's a virgin. And then the, and the, and the Gabriel says, "Well, because the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you, and so that the the child will be born will be called the Son of God." Um, she shows up a week later, maybe less than a week later, to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth already hails her as the mother of the Lord. The, the presence of Jesus as a as a living person in her womb to be worshipped already by both Elizabeth and John in her own womb um, indicates that there's not it's not that these things aren't just clusters of cells. The the, the 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 Lord God Himself is present within Mary from the moment that whenever the Lord overshadowed her. We don't know if that was right after Gabriel left or whenever that was. That's when the Lord, that's when the person of Jesus was uh, present within her. And therefore, God was present with her. Therefore, the living human, uh, the son of David, was present present within her. And then, of course, it's interesting that when Elizabeth refers to her own, to John, she refers to him as a brephos, which is a, a child, not a... <laughs> Uh, there's a there's a Greek word for embryo or like a might make, make it more inhuman, but but she refers to it as an infant baby. Um, and he's only he's only been six it's only been six months since his conception, and he's already leaping for joy and praising. I mean, I, that's how Mary, that's how Elizabeth, inspired by the Holy Spirit, interprets his leap, praising his Lord. So so you have 
you have there's just, a lot of faith that little baby yeah it's amazing <laughs> in that in that, right. in that text Who he wasn't even seven right. didn't, didn't <laughs> sing the song yet so anyway uh, right so so if nothing else just the incarnation I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I sound, making it sound like a minimal case, it's actually a maximal right. case. The, the incarnation itself says, you don't touch a child when That's after, right. that, after the conception. Well, and then you take, and then if you take the non-biblical, you know, obviously would base it on the scripture. I mean, I'm reminded of Hebrews 11, where, you know, even, even in Hebrews back when uh, they was written, you know, from the very first part by faith and confidence and things we hope for and assurance of things we do not see, he says, by faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command. Like, like the act of creation has always been a, a, a reflection of faith in God properly understood. Because if you're, you know, if you're looking for God to find him in the Hubble telescope outside of faith, you're going to find what Nietzsche called, you know, a thousand deserts cold and, va- cold and, and dark. You know, you're just going to keep looking because that's not where he's to be found. Nevertheless, you can argue from the eyes of faith and from the, 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 the quote unquote science um, that clearly there is not only a God in general, but in this specific instance, you know, we have the increased um, uh, technology to 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 sort of witness even at the very moment of conception, like the miracle that is that is the unique coming together of sperm and egg and creation of unique DNA, which is you know amongst all of the life forms, all of the building blocks, all the things. And yet, even in light of all this, you know, sonograms, 3D sonograms from like six weeks, you know, that begin to show fingernails and things. I mean, all the stuff you have people who, who just willingly, you know, it's Romans one, like the clear things of God are to be seen. And yet their foolish hearts, they were, un, they were darkened and rejected God. And therefore, um, they're without excuse, Paul says, you know, for what befalls them. But nevertheless, I think that the, the, quote unquote, scientific argument even is on our side at this point, because you have, I don't say quote unquote science, meaning that I don't believe in science, but I mean, like, if you're going to argue this from just a very practical perspective as to why would we be anti-abortion, it's like, well, you, again, you have to prioritize human beings over other animals, other creatures, which is a problem. But once you do that, even, which I imagine the people in the, the, the and campaign or at least ostensibly in the church would do um you then have to say have this calculus of when does life begin and so even at that question which used to be a little bit more mysterious we can begin to point to science and say well we can we can observe at the very least where where something dramatic happened at conception and where something unique is brought into being that wasn't before and therefore, that's when the moment we're going to be defending it, you know, and of course, because people throw back at you, well, what about miscarriages? What about, you know, all of the times you people, um, you know, are intimate and don't have sex? Like, well, yes, everyone's aware of all this happening, but there's also a place where we could at least begin to the defense, knowing that there's a great uncertainty before the life of a child from conception to, well, the rest of his or her life in the womb and out. Nevertheless, as Christian people, with based upon the foundation of all the things you said from the scriptures, Matt, and the um, common sense, um, clear, as it were, objective science of the matter, and on top of that, just the entire tradition that values human human beings. I mean, that's a you know that's what's the saddest thing at the heart of all of these discussions that there's a there's a there's again a calculus about what qualifies as a viable and valuable human life. It is made by, you know, people outside of the womb uh, on behalf of the one in it, which is in increasingly 
sadder and more cynical and more nihilistic, which of course we talked about last week, because it's like, well, they may not have, I mean, I've seen people argue for abortion because of climate change. You know, they say, well, I don't want to bring them into Mad Max. You know, I don't want to, you know, I want my child. Or just more children will cause more. Cause Mad Max. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which is such, again, such a lie. I mean, the, the amount of, I mean, I read a statistic Even if the other it's day. True, this, it doesn't yeah, but it's but, not but true. It's, but it's not. Yeah. No, there's enough. Te- there's enough food in the world right now. Capability to feed every single mouth on the planet. Poverty and starvation is a political and human heart problem. It is not a technological problem, and that is a fact. And I, um, uh, you know, and so anyone that comes at me which they don't anymore, but they used to have these arguments with people with any of these sort of spurious and, and, and just, just sad, facile arguments is um, quickly dismissed because this is not what you're arguing. Like you may be arguing, you may have a lot of wounds, fears, anxieties, sin, whatever the case may be to argue as to why you want to be for abortion. But none of what you just said is, is legitimate. <laughs> a lot of it so, does seem like, like, and it, it just a bold or bald attempt to, to quiet the conscience. I mean, the, amen. Um, that's exactly the, what it is. The, the shifting of, of justification or the shifting of language. Like, like I remember uh, teaching a Bible study a while back and I had a woman who had been coming. She wasn't part of our church, but we, I, I forget which, maybe it was Luke one, but I was, uh, that we were studying, but I, I, I made the point about, you know, Jesus being present in Mary at the moment of conception. And that brought up the whole abortion thing. And this woman said, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-life, but I do believe in abortion in a case where the life of the woman, the woman's at stake. And I said, all right, well, okay, well, I even then I said, you know, let's say the case of an ectopic pregnancy, you don't have to actually actively kill the baby. You can just remove, remove the child and it will die. Yes. But you don't actively kill. There's no reason for an abortion in almost, you know, I can't think of it. It's hard to think of a case where an actual abortion is necessary for the life of the mother. Although I'm not saying it never happens. Um, But then she said, Oh, well, but like, what about real quick at, at that point though, that's, that's a tragic you know, if, if the life of the mother is at stake, well, then you've reached a terrible yeah. decision of the human, which is which life is, you know, Laz and I had had um, long conversations before we got pregnant about this very question. And mm-hmm. she, to my chagrin, said, well, of course, we're going to choose the baby over my life. I mean, it's not chagrin, but like, you know, it wasn't. I know, like, I just I, I know. Hey, women are like that, aren't they? Just... <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, you know, we need to get that in writing or something because when the time comes, I'm going to be very conflicted. And I uh, thank God we weren't forced with that. But that's yeah. a different cow. Again, that's how they throw it back at you. What about what about? You're like, well, that's a different. Again, that's a different different discussion. Category. So anyway, well, go back to it. Yeah. So yeah. So this woman says, well, like if if the I can think of lots of women I know who if they had had their babies they wouldn't be able to go to college. And if they had their babies, they wouldn't be able to go to. They wouldn't be able to to pursue their career. So. So I'm in favor of abortion when it would save the life of the mother. And it became clear to me at that point that by life, this woman meant going to college, like pursuing her career. It was, and that, and that, I, that was the first time I'd heard that, but then I've heard it many times since, is that you know, the life of the mother language has expanded to include 
the opportunities for the mother to do whatever she wants, I mean, to do, to, to, to be able to afford to do things. Right. So, so she can't have the baby because she can't afford to do college. She can't afford to get this or that, or have a car, or have an apartment, whatever it might be. And so you're, you're endangering the mother's life. If you, if you force her, like if you force her to go ahead and, and have this baby. And it's, it's not, I don't think it's, I think it's related to the kind of thing you see in the end campaign where you have this, equation of poverty with murder right <laughs> it's in uh, that that's it that, that itself is interesting too you, know, you have the the um arguably and i know people hate it i know that and if you're listening and you hate you hate what i'm about to say i'm just gonna have to tell you just just they've already turned it off if that's right <laughs> i'm gonna bring up hitler <laughs> so, 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 I'm, I'm, okay so so Hitler. Why don't you use Pol Pot? And that's right, right. a little bit more normal. <laughs> he solved the poverty problem, right? He got, he, you know, with his wait, 98, 88% employment under his fewership in Germany. And, and so he, he saw all the, all the issues that maybe the social justice warriors would worry about in our day employment, poverty, those kinds of things. He, he resolved in Germany. He just wanted to make sure you kill the Jews, so he wanted to make sure he wanted to make the, he wanted to make sure that we were able to murder those who were draining on society, like like the uh, the and the invalids and the uh, the people who are mentally unstable and mentally diff, you know, had to be taken care of. You have to kill those off because they're 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 taking away the resources from the healthy. Um, and then the Jews, of course, because they're, they're like a plague, they're, they're, they're like a parasite on the, on society. Right. But, but we're going to make sure that everyone else who's living has all the, enough food. that, you know, that kind of, that kind of equation, that kind of thinking, we can eliminate poverty. We can get everyone jobs. We just have to, to do away with these non-human things over here so we can have the resources to do all that. Sure. It's very much like what we <laughs> what we hear today. Yeah, we, we got to kill the babies so that we'll have enough food. We got to kill the babies so that the living people will have enough resources. Um, we've got well, to yeah, kill the babies. Parts of those parts of those babies that we kill can maybe be used to help us, you know, live right. a little bit longer, right. play and golf into our nineties. Exactly, so and, and they're really not even human anyway. You know, kind of like the Jews. You know, they're not they're not quite human. So it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to murder them. In a, ma- yeah. in a mass, in, in a mass. Well, slaughter. people get mad when you say that it's a, you know, abortion is a Holocaust. But I mean, I don't think there's. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly. Look, it's a, that's an insult to Nazis, because the Nazis mm-hmm. only killed six million. We've killed what seventy-four million now. So hundred million. Yeah. Okay. So that that is worldwide, a slanderous worldwide. accusation against the Nazis to compare them to us, because we're we're much worse. Well, there's. A, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I mean, it's a it's a travesty, and it's. Um, unimaginable really i mean i was even thinking about you know the worker shortage in america you know and sort of things it's like well there's a reason why maybe we don't have as many people as we could use for um for the amount of jobs that we need to take care of ourselves because we've killed you know a third of a a generation every year for for 40 years but but you know there's a couple of things i'd add to that one is, you know, from a theological perspective the way i see it working out and i think we the technology has enabled Um, You know, technology is a great sort of megaphone or a great magnifier. You know, it can take good things and make them 25 times better, and it can take bad things and do the same. And so historically speaking, the weakness of of the sinful humans, men and women, um, have taken sort of a general shape. One, men, from the very first interaction after sin with Adam and Eve and God, 
um, we're displacing the thor- uh, responsibility, blaming others, and trying to, um, as it were, be slovenly and cowardly. You know, this woman you gave me, Adam says to God, you know. And so in the modern world, you have the opportunity to have your cake supposedly and eat it too by engaging in all of the sort of worldly fleshly desires that normally would have at least required you to take some responsibility for your actions. And now, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, and I know that some statistics have borne this out, that men are just as culpable in at least providing abortion access to women as, as the women are looking for, yeah. you know? I mean, and there was actually a, there was a, I forget, I think it was on Veep, was it the show? There was like a sort of comedic take on this where, you know, a guy was like a, um, had these um, walking down the Primrose Pass of Dalliance, <laughs> as we heard, uh, you know, uh, and um, and routinely had like an Uber and like a sort of a kit for his yeah. the women that he, I mean, you know, and so that's where we are as a culture. You have this, on one hand, you have the the sinful weakness of men uh, exploited through the ability, ability of technology for them to shirk any and all responsibility. And on the flip side, you have um, women who, you know, as the Bible says, uh, in the curse to Eve, you know, the pain in childbirth would be magnified. It wasn't that childbirth would be painless, but the pain that's magnified is that there's a there's an inconvenience, we should say, you know, <laughs> like not just a nine month inconvenience, but a but a lifetime inconvenience as a result of this. And and in a sinful world where there would be men shirking their responsibility and trying to play off this creation that they had a part in. And the woman who was burdened by this seemingly in an unfair and unjust way, well, then you literally have the argument of Roe versus Wade, which is that it has to be a right for women to not be pregnant in the way that men do not have the ability to be pregnant. That's literally the argument. It's not fair that women have to have bear the responsibility of, of um, you know, sexual Congress in the same way that men and therefore, we need to make an even playing field and allow that was that's essentially the argument of perpetuates itself to today. And so from the theological perspective, you know, a lot of these discussions have just simply further deepened my 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 trust and in, in the veracity and trustworthiness of Scripture, because this is exactly the way it would play out if you were able to create a world, technologically speaking, where men were able to shirk their responsibility and women were able to deal with their resentment. Um, over not having the quote-unquote freedom over their bodies the way that men seem to do, and all of the things that go into that. Well, this is the world we have. And so then I look at the Christian response to that, and this precisely what we've talked about is the quote-unquote Christian people who seem to see that that this is not the the issue of our time. Like this is not hitting the third rail of all of the witness of, of God and Christ to the world. Well, I don't, not only do I not believe that they actually think that the baby is a baby, um, I don't trust them because I don't, I don't think that they either they willingly or, or self-deludingly don't see the stakes of the issue because you have an entire generation, you know, this entire generation from Roe versus Wade has been brought up under the auspices that their life is quote unquote meaningful simply because their parents were, you know, in love, quote unquote, or had enough money, or they knew that their quality of life was somehow. Now, you lay that over a generation that also at the same time has had record rates of divorce, you know, fatherlessness, uh, breakdown of, of family structures, and, and, and all the things. And you wonder why we have whatever the heck TikTok is, you know, you wonder why we have untold sort of exigencies, exigencies of, of, of depression and suicidal ideation and all the things. And so that's all where we are, right? I mean, we can't go back and fix the past, but we can as a church stand united and, and point towards the actual 
healing and hope that the gospel is set before us, which is precisely at this point, which is give me your baby, you know, like give us like that's the, the biggest judgment on the lie that is the quality of life argument is the number of people waiting breathlessly and prayerfully for, for adoptions across the world. Like that's the one that belies the entire lie, because if you are going to argue that I don't want to bring a child into the world because of quality of life or you know, possible uh, problems it may have and all these things. Well, I have a list of thousands, thousands of people who are willing to take not only your quote unquote healthy whole children, but your handicapped children, your, your adult children that were, um, you know, an orphan Russian, uh, uh, Russian orphanages. I mean, you know, the, there's absolutely no lack of people who are willing to call your bluff that you actually think, well, I would do this if I didn't have to. And that's, for me, the greatest heartbreak of it all. Every once in a while, you see, you see a post like that on Twitter, like some liberal saying, uh, some pro-abortionist person saying, you know, hey, well, wh- if, if Christians don't want us to have abortions, where are they, you know, why aren't they, are you willing to adopt my baby? And like, yes. you know, you'll, yeah, you'll have like, that'll always get ratioed. You always have like... <laughs> Yeah, well, they have that meme saying. that goes around, like the terms of your condition, Mike. Right, exactly. It's like, right, yeah, yeah, when they're like, oh, when we can hold men accountable for their child just the way women, it's like, yes, when we can. Yes. Are you so you suggest that sounds a lot like <laughs> Christian nationalism, but or theonomy. So we know, you know, we're not fans of that where you aren't, but um. But if you want to start talking along those lines, well, then let's talk. You know? Absolutely. I'd be um, happy to force men to, to take advantage, take responsibility for the child they. Uh, they beget um, as much as as much as the women. That's they, they, absolutely. Let's make it. Well, let's, let's let's pass the law. Let's, or you know, well, to, I mean, there to, was a reason to, why shotgun weddings were a thing. To actually restrict sex between a man and a woman who are married. Like, yeah, there is a revolutionary idea. Well, and that's why you know. I mean, again, not we. The ship has sailed. Uh, right. Perhaps. Right. The expediency of it and the benefit for society. You know, it's hard to argue, even from a very non just sociological or phenomenological perspective that you could at least argue you know if you gave me if i was an atheist and you debate this position or the other you know unrestrained sexual freedom um with abortion on demand and absolutely no um societal constraint against or 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 support for um adultery and monogamous marriage all the things over against something that would harness you know the harness the powerful sexual desires that human beings have by design harness the um compensate for the weaknesses that we have by sin and point us towards something higher and greater than ourselves which of course is represented by a child you know nothing brings the the hope of the future into stark relief more than the than the idea that you would like to protect and leave the world a better place than it was when you brought this little powerless child into existence well you know when you have no hope for the future in the place face of that, or you think that, you know, the main person, the main actor or protagonist of the world is you in the first place, well then children become not just an inconvenience, but something that has to have to be eradicated because the prospect of your own mortality, your complicity and the destruction of the world that you're leaving to them, your sort of selfishness and slovenliness in the face of what you actually know to be true is too much to handle. So you know, how much is an Uber to the Planned Parenthood clinic? I mean, that's that's how it is, you know, thank God. And some people can't afford it. So that's why, again, I mean, I'm glad we're talking about this because in the news again, and when Roe, you know, we probably should just keep practicing our our ref- reflections on this before the Roe versus Wade, um, you know, bombshell hits however it lands, because it seems like it's going to, because in my 
opinion, you know, the the sophistry surrounding quote unquote Christian support for for pro-abortion politicians and policies is just that. It's just a it's a it's a thin veneer of, of spiritual talk that is hiding a deeper lack of conviction and confidence that that what God has said is true about his authorship of human life and it's and it's sort of the pinnacle of human of his creation. And um, we need to call people on that lovingly and, and, you know, hopefully with, with tears in our eyes. I mean, it's, you know, if we have 95 million abortions wherever in America or, or around the world means that, as we well know, you know, none of us are people of clean lips or clean hands. I mean, we're all one degree connected, you know, or, or one degree separated from someone who has been participated in this, you know, willingly or, or unwillingly or however the case may be. And so very prayerful, very very gracious to the to the leveling effect at the foot of the cross for people who have had abortions or haven't or or who have turned a blind eye or haven't but be whatever the past may be going forward more clarity we can have on this issue and more more courage to to call people to a to a higher level of life of of faith hope and love which requires self-sacrifice and and will only deepen and strengthen the witness church to a lost and hurting world and i think some you know, has been the case forever. I mean, you can go on. I mean, the, you know, the early Christian churches are now, you know, you, the Romans could just expose their babies on a hillside and the church went on and picked them up and raised them, you know? So it's like um, Andronicus, uh, we're just reading, you know, uh, who knows what he was at the end of Romans, you know, but it's like, maybe he was one of these little babies. It's like, well, I don't know anything about these guys, but they picked me up and we have a communion every week and talk about this guy, Jesus. And here we are, you know, but otherwise we would have been exposed. And I mean, that's the way the church has witnessed to an unbelieving world since its inception. I, when I was a young man, 17 years old, um, I paid for an abortion. I think I told you guys this, um, mm. that uh, a friend yeah. of mine, a, a good friend of mine, two good friends of mine, uh, had, well, the, the girl got pregnant, um, was in high school. I had the money. And so I said, Hey, I'll, I'll help you out of this. And so I, I drove her up to San Antonio from Corpus Christi, Texas to get, um, an abortion, and so I, you know, I paid for, I mean, I didn't, I didn't think that's what I was doing at the time, but I know now I was paying for a murder. I was, I was funding it um, and facilitating it. Um, and if it were ever like may, if, if I guess in, in, in a real world, I should be behind bars because I was an accessory to this, this kind of murderous uh, uh, bloodshed. But, you know, at the time it was kind of the deceptive thing about it is, is I thought I was giving my money to do something good, to help my friends, right. you know, to, to, because I wanted her to have a life. It wasn't my baby. It was my, my best friend, my, my friend's baby. But I wanted her to have a life that wasn't encumbered by this thing that, that, that she'd had. And that's, that's kind of the way idolatry works, isn't it? You do, you, you, you sacrifice the good. You just give you, you sacrifice something for a false God. And that's in right. this case, right. I, the false God was my friendship with this girl her future, the ideal of going on without having this blemish on her record, the, the, the escape from shame for her from her parents because her parents were really strict Catholics. I mean, all of that was was being was being adored and worshipped, and the baby was being sacrificed to get to to keep those idols safe, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we do. I mean, we do that in every other aspect of our lives too. But it's no, it's rarely rarely as clear. As it is when it comes to abortion, right. where we're just literally right. sacri- where we're just really uh, bleeding out another human being 
for our perceived good, for our for our That's gods. Right. Um, and it goes all back to Molech and all of the stuff in the Old Testament. Um, and so I think, I mean, I think the Roman Catholics are really good. I mean, I think the Roman Catholics were the ones who made up that, who, who I think a Roman Catholic author was the first one who, at least, I, at least I've read, made that connection between the, the how, how abortion is a demonic sacrament. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the reverse, the, the inverse of Christ giving right. himself. It was um, it Philip Creep? Blood. I think it was Philip Creep. Okay. And he was yeah. even saying about how the, the litany you know, this is my body, my choice, you know, I mean, there's, we've heard this is my body, you know, yeah. repeated in alternate uh, forms um, throughout human history or Christian right. history. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it reminds me of Proverbs twelve ten. you know, the compassion of the wicked is cruel, you know, I mean, this is the, this is the problem, like the unenlightened mind, the faithless heart, the darkened human heart, given to our own sense of, of what is actually loving is, is the exact opposite in many cases, you know, and I think, um, it's a powerful uh, story, Matt. I mean, you're a powerful picture of of sin and redemption, right there. I mean, not we all are, but in this particular instance, because you know you're you're confessing and evincing the living the living hope that we stand behind when we talk about these things. Is that like we're not unaware of the fact that people in our midst have been touched by this, whether you know knowingly or unknowingly. Again, like I said, or or complicit, or, or, or you know, before they were Christians, while they were Christians. I mean, this this is this is something that is a dark and pervasive uh, reality of a life lived in the, in the world of sin, death, and the devil. And so we're not unaware of that. And we're offering the very redemption and hope that you've received, that you offer other people, that the Apostle Paul also is a murderer. You know, that we all, as Isaiah says, of unclean lips and people of unclean hands are claiming nothing but the redemptive, merciful blood of Christ for sinners. And so when we talk about these things, it's, it is a life and death issue. And it is the moral, I think, um, travesty of our time. But Jesus came to address that, to reveal the, the darkness of it, but also to give us something to say in the midst of it. And so I hope, you know, as difficult as the conversation is with people who have actively participated in abortion, that, that even your recounting there is a signal of hope of how much the Lord can, can bring redemption out of, out of sorrow and loss um, and complicity and actually restore people to a right relationship to him, to him and give them the confidence to, to preach um, in the midst of this dark world, something of a known and realized sense of his redemption and love. And I think it's a beautiful, you know, tragic, but beautiful. I mean, this is the, the Friday and Easter um, in all of our lives at every point, but I, I do hope that, that if anyone has lingering guilts and fears and shames about that, that they would bring it to light and that they would find someone who can pray with them, cry with them, and offer them absolution in the midst of this and begin the process of the Holy Spirit restoring the years that the locusts have eaten. And that's what we're, um, you know, I know we're here to do, but I hope the church um, is prepared because the Holy Spirit comes and brings revival, which is always, uh, which is always brought with conf uh, confession and conviction. Um, we're going to have a work to do with respect to this question, but I, for one, I know y'all are too, ready and willing and certainly um, well able to offer the, the mercies of God to the worst of these, uh, you know, to who, of whom I am the chief, the sinner. And this issue maybe most acutely at this time in our lives. So that's, that's the hope. Amen. That's what we do. Well, that's going to be all the time that we have this week, you guys, um, you listeners, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes or send us an email at mailbag at standfirmandfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. 
We are, as always, grateful that you took the time to listen to the show today. Thank you to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I am Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,